Hello, welcome to Winter Dogs Bagpipe and History Podcast, the weekly show where I explore the likely repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers using historic music collections, written for bagpipes or not, uh, and played on illin pipes, highland pipes, and whistles. Let's hear some tunes. episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I had kind of thought about releasing a short episode this week because of grading, and as I was resigned my, resigning myself to that, thinking, well, I'll release something and just say, hey, all busy. Uh, then Donald Lindsay released an album, <laughs> and it's called The History of Sleep, uh, and it's incredible. And uh, I gave it a listen, and uh, on it, there is a William Dixon tune, and obviously I've been on a pretty big William Dixon kick lately and listening to listening to Donald's take on it um, got my mind thinking about some of my favorite music from uh, you know not too terribly long ago I spent a long time well still I'll go in waves where when I'm grading or, or doing work uh, I'll listen to a lot of Godspeed Black Emperor or Mogwai or um, kind of tunes of that sort if that means anything to you um, and listening to History of Sleep just really took me back to some of the best aspects of, of that music. And so I had kind of a lovely couple of message exchanges with Donald, and then ultimately we decided we should just have a chat. So uh, after a lot of confusion and waiting for Ascension's internet to be a little bit more cooperative, we wound up having a lovely conversation, uh, a little over, around an hour, um, so what I'm going to do is play one track from History of Sleep, but it is a doozy. This is the lads, uh, Dorrington lads. It's tune out of uh, William Dixon. We'll talk about the album a little bit, but just some basics. Uh, it's a largely the album is an improvised performance uh, that happened in Glasgow back in 2019 between Donald Lindsay and Richard Youngs on electric guitar. And uh, as he says in the conversation, this bit of Dorrington is actually the only part of the concert that was like written down uh, using Dixon's setting. Uh, but it's just lovely. It's really good stuff. Um, this track is 20 minutes long. Uh, Dorrington is a long tune to begin with, and there's a lot of pretty... Um, there's just some beautiful improvisation in the middle of this, and uh, as he and I talk about in their conversation, it's sort of a descriptive piece, too. I've been on such a descriptive kick lately, so it might be helpful... It was helpful for me when listening to know that there's a story of uh, a border piper who played Dorrington uh, Lads as kind of his last tune. Because um, it's sort of what the tune... It feels like that's what the tune is talking about. Um, that supposedly uh, Will Allen was... Uh, this is in Matt Seattle's book, obviously. Yeah, so there's a story that's worth noting about the this tune, kind of associated with this tune when listening to it, because it definitely helped me kind of get a vision of uh, how this piece works as a descriptive piece. 
And the story is that a fairly famous piper named James Allen, or Will Allen rather, was uh, old and kind of bedridden, and some of his more pious neighbors were saying, you know, you should really, you know, come to Jesus. <laughs> Essentially, like, you need to, uh, you need to do something, you need to repent, you know, you're heading into eternity. And essentially, Will claimed, it's not as bad as all that. Don't worry about it. I'm going to play a tune. And he gets out his pipes and, and plays Dorrington Lads, which is an exhausting tune, and uh, dies in the process of playing Dorrington Lads, as demonstrating to his neighbors that he didn't need to repent because he had plenty of life left in him. Uh, so that's sort of maybe helpful to think about in the background of when you're listening to this tune. It's also worth remembering, if you aren't familiar or haven't listened to um, the episode when I got a hold of Donald Lindsay's uh, print and play chanter uh, from a friend and was kind of experimenting with it and, and showing what it's capable of. That's what uh, that's what he's playing. That's the instrument Donald's playing is a chanter that he designed and engineered that um, yeah that has an extended range, a full two octaves. Um, and one of the things I love about this tune is he doesn't take advantage of that much, and so when he does, it just hits hard. It hit me really hard, anyway. Uh, yeah, anyway, enjoy the tune, and then I'll just cut right into Donald and I chatting. There was a bit of a, you know, lag <laughs> between the Ascension Island, uh, Ascension Island and Iowa City on Skype, so I might cut in sometimes when there's um, just some too much of a miscommunication to clarify some things, but uh, for the most part, I'm just going to play the interview. All right, cheers. Here is Dorrington off of Donald Lindsay and um, Richard Young's new album, History of Sleep, which you can find on Bandcamp, and it's lovely. I highly recommend it.
Hi, Jeremy. Hey. <laughs> hey. Let me make sure that I'm... Uh... Oh, hello. I'm, I'm just waiting for you to come up on screen. Oh, all right. Cool. Hello. Hi. All right. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Okay, that's recording. All these gadgets are recording. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, cool. thank you for doing this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for waiting. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're about 44 minutes late. That's oh, all right. That's all right. Uh, Hannah's here, by the way. We we don't have a lot of entertainment out here. <laughs> all right. cool. You gotta make your own. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you clearly. Oh, good. Yeah, I I can hear you clearly too. As it was taking so long, I'm like, there's no way this is gonna work. Like, when it finally works, it's gonna uh, cut in and out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's live. Uh, yeah, um, we do have internet. Yeah, <laughs> but not, 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 not particularly reliable. But but it does it does it, it does the business anyway. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks very much, Jeremy. And um, you, you sent some questions over, and these are great. These are great. Yeah. Um, should I on. should I read them out? I can just ask you. I can read them off to you. Or is there some specifically that you want to speak to? Yeah. No problem. So um, Dorrington has 16 variations in Dixon. Um, Matt Seattle. So you interviewed Matt a couple of weeks ago, you said? Well, he just gave me a, he was, you know, he just gave me a call. He was like, hey, you want to have a chat? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to have yeah. a chat. And uh, and yeah. it's I, I mentioned that, you know, I've been thinking about interviewing him for the podcast and just getting his take on variations. And he said yes to that, but it, it wasn't. Yeah, it just wasn't clear when I was record or like when we were talking that that was going to be the conversation for the podcast, and I haven't talked to him since then about like putting it on. So, uh, so yeah, had a lovely chat with him, but uh, it's hasn't yeah. hasn't gone anywhere yet. But just a lovely guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my is I, yes. Um, actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm getting homesick now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, totally. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm what Matt said here. was that yeah. the 16 variations are really difficult to memorize. I mean, there's 16 of them, uh, but he was specifically saying two parts are quite similar. So did you memorize it was what I was wondering, or do you have yes. some tricks? Oh, okay. Yeah. So was there any tricks or is it just, you do the work and you figure it out? Right. I'm going to have a careful think about, um, how I answer this because, um, they're probably where um there probably were memorization tricks early on it's like i say it, it, it's I, I started i started trying to memorize dixon tunes particularly my favorite ones so top of the list dorrington jack latin yeah. um uh, but other ones as well um and about 20 years ago probably i started trying to memorize them and i can clearly remember sitting in the back of a bus I have no idea where I was going from and where I was going to, but it was just somewhere within Scotland and it was like a city link intercity bus um, with the book open in front of me um, and the Dager chanter or whatever it was yeah. and trying to memorize. Um, so I know, I know I've been working on this for, for a good long time. Um, I can't remember specific memory tricks that I might have used but visualizations, I think visualizations and that thing where when you take a tune from the page 
into your memory. And I don't know if you do this, but you watch your fingers and the fingers become the score, if you like. So at first you've got the score in front of you, right? Yeah. And the the visual guide of the score um, keeps you right. Um, and there's a kind of a transition that happens to from the visual cue of the score to the sensational cue and the visual cue of the fingers. Yeah. Um, so that it becomes... Um, but then also you've got the oral cue. And then there's the old thing that people say that, you know, you never forget happy birthday. Um, whereas... Which is to say that um, if you know how it goes, then you know how it goes. Um, so I can't. I'm not sure that I can. Certainly, that with 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 a 16 part tune, um, that kind of um, sort of instinctive, this is how it goes, cue didn't happen right away. Um, and there was a lot of work involved. It wasn't like learning Happy Birthday, clearly. Um, but, um, yeah. yeah. So there, there, there were quite, quite a few different things at play, and I can remember putting quite a lot of work into it. So, um, yeah, so it's not easy, but... Um, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't tried one of the double-page uh, sets yet where you have to go from front to back, um, because, like, yeah. lately, I've, I've given myself way too fast of a... Um, timeline for like making music I've been posting a tune every day for the year and that just means I don't have time to actually memorize anything it feels like um, but the, yes. these yeah. Dixon tunes I've gotten a lot better at sight reading but these Dixon tunes still every time I try to just do a Dixon tune I'll get to the point where I can sight read it fine but then my brain kind of clicks to where I love something about it too much to actually just sight read it and I've got to like feel my way through it um, a little bit more uh, and yeah, like I start to have visualizations more of thinking of the piece almost as a, um, and I don't know if descriptive piece is the right thing, but where the tune starts to have a story that you're seeing in your head. And then I start to associate the story with it. But again, that's pretty easy on only yes. like a seven part yeah. stool of repentance or um, uh, hit her between the legs. There's a, there's a narrative in all of them, but um, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh -huh. But there'll be something in particular that draws you in. Um, yeah, I had a question there that popped up for you oh. when you were saying that. But anyway, carry on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, so you were, saying, <laughs> you were saying Dorrington Lads took uh, 20 years when we kind of had our first exchange. Uh, that was, did you mean yeah. like this particular approach to it or the, like working on it in combination with other people or just your relationship with Dorrington Lads has been like a 20 year just my development? Relationship. Yeah. 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 Just my relationship with it. Just a kind of a getting to know the tune and from, from when I first encountered it and, and early on, um, when I, when I got my hands on the first, um, the pink edition of, uh, is it pink? I can't remember. But um, the the first uh, master paper that I had, um, which more or less fell to bits, um, it was just about just trying to 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 just get inside this music and and, and understand it. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's twenty years of a of a kind of an exploration relationship with these tunes, um, and uh, I. Um, I've been through a lot of different kind of approaches and uh, and so on. 
Aye. And talking to Matt and playing with Matt um, has been very helpful because Matt's got obviously a very particular insight into the into the in, into the the music. Um, and so yeah, that's that was interesting. And and uh, actually, in the couple of years before we came down here, um, uh, I, I don't know whether it's a year or two years, but I was um, popping down to. Um, stay over with Matt and to go to the Canon session in Jedburgh, um, where we played, you know, a few, a handful of these Dixon sets, and um, and it was very, very interesting to to talk and to play, um, and to and to just kind of try and and uh, it's just all part of the journey with this music. Yeah, that's it. So, really, his conversation with me. Uh, it felt liberating uh, to a certain extent of just him saying, well, his, he, you know, it's in the, the third edition of the book, the quote that uh, another Piper said, if you got to figure out how to play this stuff so it kicks ass, and then you know you're doing it the way yep. they did it. Um, but also when he said, you know, the notes, I mean, he didn't say it like this, but basically the notes are a guideline, but you shouldn't necessarily take them as exact that every eighth note has to be exactly a sixteenth note in length and, you know, you should hold and and do that. And as soon as we had that conversation and then I started playing Stool of Repentance again and it just like, oh yeah, I can see how I can make this a way more stimulating piece of music. And like Dixon stuff, even if you play it just exactly as written, is totally stimulating. Um, and I guess that was one of the questions I had. It's, yeah. it's like this beautifully chaotic um, music. Like it, it's so often it just builds to more and more levels of complexity and kind of chaos. And so... Yeah, that was my question. Is yeah. I'm impressed by how restrained uh, Dorrington Lads is on your your new album. Like, because Dixon's pieces, they tend to build to such chaos, but by stretching and slowing, uh, your piece has really become just this beautiful rendition of music. Um, but yeah. it's just funny to me to, to like think of how restrained it is, even though you're using this kind of innovative new instrument with an extended range and overdubbing it, you know, having electric guitar with it, and you're doing a lot of stuff with it, but yeah. it still feels beautifully restrained from what was possible so yeah was that do you know does that make sense can you speak to that or am i yes nuts? yeah totally um i think probably um i mean here's the thing um full disclosure um i'm i guess i'm a i'm a singer as well as a piper okay um and i don't <clears throat> i don't sort of do a lot publicly with the singing but um my relationship with music um you know i sing tr traditional ballads and there's a, a very kind of a um flexible approach to um to meter and melody um and so when i was getting into the dixon tunes in the first place it just it, it feels natural to because like you say they are quite dense yeah and it feels natural to try to make it sing a little bit um so um i suppose that's probably part of what 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 is what's coming into play there is that um as you say when you get to those later variations in dixon it, it could just become it could just start hammering away at you yeah. um and 
I suppose, I mean, I, I'm thinking about the way that I played it on that recording. I've got it here and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, because I've played it lots of different ways. Sure. Um, but um, it's, you know, so when it gets to, Ah, uh-huh, it's still quite it's still quite lyrical. Um, I mean, I like um, I forget the variation numbers, but I've got them here. Um, when you get to when you get to number nine and ten, it's it, it is really quite kind of um, you, you could just kind of really go at it there, like um, and and and. In a way, that's part of the that's part of the appeal of that part of the tune is that you could just let it hammer away, like um, sort of. Uh, it gets quite. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sort of like Philip Glass or something, and it just yeah. it's like the same phrase repeated and repeated and repeated, um, and and that is part of the charm. But uh, at the same time. If you, you, you know, there's so many things you can do with it. If you, if you, if you lean into the first note of the each um, of each string, um, then it can uh, it does something completely different. The whole part does something completely different. Um, and I, I'm personally, I'm more inclined to do something that is that's more if you like more lyrical and that takes each of these because you could play as you know i mean and it could just be like a typewriter um and that would have something going for it but um i'm just personally i'm more inclined to just banal to hear each one of those uh strings of notes as a pulse in itself yeah. and to to give it a kind of a um and i suppose that's song like you know so each one of them then becomes a kind of a cadence yeah um that uh is more um uh-huh, rather than them all having equal value and all being um all being uh sort of uh punctu- each one of them being a punctuation um, and said that the first one is like a punctuation and then the rest of them just flow behind. Sure. Um, but there are so many ways that you could do these tunes and because there's no uh, there's no direct, I mean, you can listen to it. Obviously, Northumbrian piping provides some sort of uh, indication of, of how you might interpret the, the tunes. It's not exactly the same thing. And so there's enough difference there that you can hear because you know, obviously, in in getting into the Dixon tunes, that you're probably um, dealing with music that came from a an open chanter, mm-hmm. and so it's the approach itself is never going to be exactly the same as it is with the the modern Northumbrian repertoire, which is for a closed chanter and staccato. Um, so there's there's no kind of certain guide as to how it's supposed to be played if you like yeah i kind of so i like so thinking many. of it as just like as it just being music and i get the importance yeah. of having a repertoire that we can claim as you know a repertoire of this instrument um that is sort of lost mm-hmm. otherwise but um yeah i get 
I get frustrated with the, I, I guess I'm just not, as much as I'm interested in historical bagpiping, it turns out I'm not interested yeah. at all in really restrictive playing it exactly as one person played it. And I, and I kind of reject yeah. the idea that everybody played it the way that one person played it. Like musicians are always going to have their own spin on things and like between different times yeah. you play it, you're going to have different uh, approaches. So there's, there seems like this weird has to play it exactly as we think Dixon meant it to be played. Um, I think is, yeah. is missing the mark that, that some people seem to focus on. Maybe not so much with Dixon, but definitely other. No, other I think so. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, even if you're looking at it from a, the point of view of, you know what what we know about it. Um, even what Matt says, uh, even the quotes that Matt's given in the book um, about the Allens themselves make it clear that there was interpretation involved. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Allen, uh, I was just reading that just there. Uh, it talks about how he played it with uh, what was it said? Yes. You know, in common spirit and precision. So the idea that there was any kind of canonical way of playing it. There probably was to some extent, but I'm, you know, like yourself, I, I'm not really coming out of that kind of place of mind. Um, and instead, it's, you know, it is, it is very much just a case of kind of, you know, what can you do with this? Yeah. What, what, what sort of, yeah. what, what could this be musically? Um, and, uh, and, and taking a kind of an exploratory approach to that in, way, in, in that way. It is sort of funny um, to me. You, yeah. you brought up uh, Philip Glass and how, like, the variations can almost sound like a Philip Glass piece. And to me, Mark Saul's music always has kind of that that well, the older stuff anyway. I guess I haven't like the first Mixolydian book and uh, that first album. It had that same kind of uh, Philip Glass feel to it. And I'm always surprised by these like innovative pipers that are like we're doing something new. And inevitably you find something from a really old tradition. You're like, oh no, I think we had that. Like, I think the music had something very similar <laughs> yeah. to that and we got rid of it at some point and now it's being rediscovered. But unknowingly, you know, like it, it's almost as if, if the instrument can handle something, it's probably been done at a certain point. Like when there's legions of people that are professional yeah. musicians and bards experimenting with it for a livelihood they probably came up with a, a lot of things and so much of it ends up getting written down. I mean, so much of it is lost, but so much of it, we get these little indications like, oh no, that's pretty dang cool. But that's yeah. not a question. Yeah. <laughs> I should ask you no, another no. question. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know, do you want to talk about it? Like as a, I've been on a descriptive piece kick. Is that something you want to go into if you think of this as a descriptive yes. piece? Or... Oh, totally. Okay. Um, no, no, well, the first part of it Primarily, I'm just playing what I've got yeah. um, of the piece, and that I've done a lot of feeling and thinking my way into it. And I wanted just to to lay it out there and say because there's a lot of a lot of love for this particular tune, um, uh, as as I've got for a lot of other Dixon tunes, you know. But you know, there are specific ones that I particularly like. Um, and uh, obviously this one is just in a league of its own um, and so yeah but I mean in, in in a sense playing that and doing my best with it is kind of the that that's that's the to set against the improvisation that follows that's kind of the that's the life bit if you like yeah. and then what follows becomes about the 
um, the struggle, and it really is the the improvisation. Really, is this it, that really is directly influenced by the the, the story that's given there, and um, you know where um, it's it's Willie Allen's way of putting the middle middle finger up to to death yeah. is to play his tune, yeah. um, and but obviously death triumphs, and so there's this struggle, and and the improvisation is just a way of going through and in a way one of the things that that we're doing in the improvisation is going through and the improvisation itself was live the only part of the recording that wasn't uh, fully live was the transition from um i just performed dorrington myself and then richard came in on the guitar but then we improvised together so that's the only um segue if you like in the whole album where we're not just recording together um straight to tape um is where richard comes crashing in about variation 10 or variation 9 or whatever um and then after that it's right after you're really comfortable that's when it happens like i'm really comfortable with it and i'm like oh god what the hell (laughs) what is that yeah yeah um exactly and then he he carries that on until the end of the tune proper if you like um and then when i drop out that's when I come back in, if you like, with Richard. Um, and then the whole thing from there on is sort of completely organic. Um, and that improvisation is stepping through the tune, if you like, but in an impressionistic way. Yeah. Um, and it's not completely comfortable um, and it's not completely predictable either but it's basically that's that's the fight that that whole thing is the fight and i'm completely um you know the idea of that as as a descriptive piece that's how i would in, how being how i was intending it yeah. um is is as a kind of exploration of that kind of that that kind of you know it was really pretty intense to do um and i love listening to it but at the same time it it uh it, it's quite kind of uh, quite intense yeah um and the uh, yeah so that that yes i'm totally um that's totally how i would see it um well we we started chatting about it as i was listening to it for the first time so you kind of got my knee-jerk reaction enthusiasms for it um but like in terms of really intense moments uh i, I wasn't i'm not sure listening back to it with actually proper headphones on rather than uh bad laptop speakers i feel like it's such a crime to do that to a musician like i listened to your stuff on the worst possible speaker uh just didn't occur to me until after i plugged it in but that you hit it that's one of the reasons i was saying it's so restrained like you have you've developed this amazing channel that has a very extended reach and in this very ex- like impressive 20 minute track there's one note that really stands out as being beyond the the reach and that's like i think in the middle of that struggle and then you end yeah. on a, a extended reach note and after listening back with with the headphones maybe there's more extended notes in there or you know lindsay system notes but those are the two that really stuck it's out to maybe. me yeah mm-hmm. Did you try? Did you yeah. ever experiment with like adding a variation that extends that uses your your chanter to fuller potential, or is it just? I mean, I think it's more effective to not to have just those couple of notes in there. It's just gut punches to me. Yeah. No, that's in line with you know the the way that I've the way that I've been using the chanter for playing for playing generally with Dixon tunes, and that's obviously this completely separate thing to that improvisation because that was that was something a bit special, but. Um, 
I've been using it in that kind of way where I've just been like, okay, what is what does this need? Um, so occasionally I'll bring in a low E or occasionally I'll bring in a high B or a G sharp. Um, but don't want to overdo it. Right. Um, and for that improvisation, really it was a nine-note story. Dixon's yeah. stuff is a nine-note story. And Dorrington is, is, is very much a nine-note story. So unless... Unless it was, you know, if it was ne- if it was really necessary, then I would use something that that's there. Um, and maybe I mean I don't know if it's right to say, but I've probably been playing the chanter just long enough now to begin to just feel those needs for for some of the the other colours that I've got there. Yeah. But um, it's the the way that album develops really history of sleep um itself is is really right down on the backboard and the low notes as you know um and creeps out of there and climbs up a bit but it really is right down there um june is right up in in the higher part of the the range and 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 it, it is really quite angular as well but then international bagpipe day drops back and just uses the common language um and uh, dorrington um, consciously respects the nine notes except in the you know the occasions you're talking about consciously is uh, is returning to the kind of core um of of what the chanter does um and yeah that's just that's just the way i saw it for, for those tunes well that's uh so something you said earlier kind of wanted a question that I didn't give you ahead of time that I thought about in the middle or like in between is so you recorded most of this just Dorrington or most of this album live in Glasgow and all live all live um yeah so when just I was just wondering like when is a project done for you like it's been a while since that recording did you make some adjustments to it or are you just hoping to like get together and be able to have a release and a concert and that obviously isn't happening or like, why is it coming out now? I guess is the the question. Um, yeah, basically, um, the intention was that we would do something in August, um, on COVID intervened. So we're stuck here basically until next July, um, with one thing and another. So, we recorded it. Um, we Richard and me improvised together um, with these tracks. Once we decided we were going to do this, um, we didn't want to overdo it with the improvisation side of things. Um, and with the non-improvised side of things, in terms of Dorrington was the main thing that was non-improvised and was was a composed piece. Oh, that was my that was my side of things. So Richard. Um, essentially, we didn't really need to overwork that either. So we met and we 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 improvised and and met in the piping centre and stuff and um, and then we did a gig in Chayovna uh, the weekend before we recorded it and uh, developed some of the ideas there and came up with, came up with International Bagpipe Day there, which was somewhat different on the night than it was in the studio, um, but was the same same general feel but it was it, 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 it developed between then and when we went into the studio so there are there are elements in there that are if you like firm fairly fixed like Dorrington um, there are elements there like 
history of sleep and June that were very familiar to us. And there's something very dynamic in there, which is International Bagpipe Day. Um, and also the second half of Donington, which we kept very dynamic as well, although we had done that before. Um, and, and so it's most of it is improvisation. Um, and that was kind of the, um, the, the, the whole point of that, uh, that album. Um, you know, we're working on an album just now, Mars Bay, which is very, very different in character. Um, and we're going to record that hopefully, I mean, you can never tell now in the weird world we live in, but we're hoping that we'll be back in Glasgow in July, uh, next year, 2021 and August next, next year. Um, and we're hoping at that point um, that we will be able to go back into, I would quite like to go back into Green Door for maybe four or five days. Yeah. Um, we'll probably get a group of musicians in there when we do that. Um, and what we're bringing back is 10 themes that we've gathered from seabirds here. Oh, cool. Um, from Awakes. Um And this is a totally different approach to making an album. So this is kind of to contrast with the way we did History of Sleep. But um, we've been, myself and my son, Ryle, we've been going down to Mars Bay. Um, and Mars Bay is a bay on the south side of the island, which is named for, the whole place looks like Mars, uh, except <laughs> the bits that are covered by trees. But um, it's not called Mars Bay for that reason, funnily enough, because when it was called Mars Bay, nobody had had a look, good look at Mars, except <laughs> through a telescope. Um, so they didn't know that it looked like Ascension. Um, but uh, it was named for, there was a Scottish couple um, who were both astronomers who came down here in 1877 um, to calculate the distance between the Earth and the Sun by working out the distance between Earth and Mars okay. using a heliometer and some other equipment that they had with them. Um, and they were able to do this using a new, uh, a new uh, technique that had been proposed where they would just take a single point of reference from the Earth's surface, but they would wait a certain amount of time in order to allow them to triangulate yeah. so that the Earth had moved. Um, and it worked, and they got um, the most accurate um, determination of the distance for the 19th century anyway. Um, and uh, I was fascinated by that story, and so we went down to Mars Bay to have a look around for the... The, the remains of their camp and the, there's a concrete base where they put the heliometer, was pretty cool. Um, very little left, but um, down there is also the place where the wide awakes um, come and lay their eggs. And they do this every nine months and they spend about six months here. Um, and they're very, very noisy birds. They're sooty terns. Um, and it sounds like basically white noise when you first hear it. Um, and they come and they buzz you and they fly low over you and they try and peck you and stuff. But um, we decided to, to record this and see what we could make of it and and, and uh, sent it back to Glasgow to Richard, who slowed it down on the tape, the real to real tape recorder, sent it back. Um, and it turns out that each individual call, they're very, very short. And when you, when you pitch them down and put them to a quarter speed on the reel-to-reel, -reel, then you get something that more or less is like a bar of music in each case. Oh. And some of them were coming out um, resembling a bar of 4-4 four, four or 5-4 four, or 6-4. Um, and 
if you you know some of them were more bendy than others but you could you could kind of <clears throat> arbitrarily decide on pitches that would yeah. go um and uh yeah so this you know this is this is we, we, we we've had a really interesting time doing this and so we're going to take these back and we're going to develop these 10 favorites if you like um, into something. We're, we're working on an interim time and we're, we're improvising and messing about a wee bit with these bars of music. But we're going to sit down together. And so this is obviously <clears throat> quite a contrast because um, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of um, thought going into it and there's quite a lot of um, preparation and quite a lot of it's quite, it's quite um, how would you say, it's quite uh, um It's not just intuitive, which the the first three improvisations anyway in history of sleep were just totally intuitive, um, and we just sat down together and we just started playing, and that's what that's what happened. Yeah. Um, well, you're learning a bird's so, medium. It's not a uh, fixed vocabulary yeah. that you speak with bagpipes yet, right? You're having to figure out yeah, this new no, no. language. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to how to respond to that. So yeah, so that's that, that's that that's kind of the other end of the scale. It's very, uh, I suppose it's quite um, sort of analytical in a way. Yeah. Whereas what we did with history of sleep was much more intuitive. Um, but uh, yeah, aye, that's cool. yeah. So when you leave Ascension, you'll be working on an Ascension project pretty thoroughly, uh, bagpipe related for a bit of time. So that's. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Um, well, I, it is. It is fully. All, it's nearly one thirty <laughs> where you are. So okay. I feel like I feel like I should wrap up here. Um, do you want to? So we're talking. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. Like we're talking about this album, um, the history of sleep. Hey. Okay. So this is. Uh, Jeremy, well after the conversation, kind of listening back and editing. Uh, this is a part in the conversation where kind of the distance got the better of us, and uh, I was trying to kind of wrap up because uh, I felt bad about taking up so much of uh, Donald and Hannah's time, and uh, he was still game to talk some more. And uh, so I sent him a list of questions when we were trying to navigate ascension internet i thought it might make more sense for me just to record some questions and send them to him and then he record his responses and i wound up kind of just sending him the questions i was going to ask and so the question that uh, he wants to discuss uh he never really reads it in full so i'll just tell you what the, the question was that he uh, expressed an interest in asking or answering in a second here so he said Okay, so since moving to an island between Africa and South America on the south side of the equator, uh, I said that because I can never remember where Ascension Island is, uh, it seems like you have been incredibly connected to the maker and piping world with the release of the print and play chanter articles and piping today and videos and projects with the BBC. Uh, it strikes me that you may be better equipped at making meaningful connections with communities and people that are far away from us. Now that most of us are locked inside, except to work or get necessities, do you have any advice for distance connections, having had a year or more uh, long head start before the pandemic hit? So that's the question that, uh, that's the full question that Donald's going to start addressing when we come back together. 
Yeah, no problem. No, um, I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking um, that. Uh, um, um, I'm terribly sorry. Can I go for a question that's on the on the? Oh, sure, uh, sure, sure. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, so you've got uh, this thing about um, uh, it's, since moving to an island. Oh, yeah. It seems like you've still been incredibly connected. It's quite a good question. Um, and I feel like we have, yeah. At the same time, on the one hand, first of all, when we came here, um, I was fully intending to do uh, tutorials and all kinds of stuff weekly. Until we find out how awful the internet is here. Yeah. Um, and since then, I've been trying to work out how to overcome that. And I think I've just about worked it out um, so that I am actually going to start doing some sort of tutorial soon, maybe in the next couple of weeks. Um, but the first year was... Ascension is a funny old place, and it was basically fairly mind-blowing to be out here. And there was for such a tiny island, so much to adapt to and discover about it. Um, and also, for the first year, um, I had my oldest, Ryle, who was 17, now turned 18, living in the house with us. And it was such a great opportunity for him and I to spend time together. And he's a um, hugely enthusiastic musician um, and music producer himself. So we had so much to explore about the island and about music generally. And listening to stuff, everything from, you know, um, uh, sort of Stockhausen to pavement and um, everything in between. And um, just having a really great time. And um, it, it, it really took all that time to, to get through all of that great stuff and, and then realize, hang on, uh, I had some stuff I said to people I would do when I came <laughs> here. Uh, so, uh, so now we're on to that. Um, Ryle decided to stay another year. So he's moved over the hill five minutes <laughs> to the RAF base where he oh. is serving meals daily to incoming workers in isolation, most of whom are from Turkey and most of whom are going to work on the new runway here. Um, and he's got himself set up with this great little kind of uh, bed set flat place that they give them over there, which uh, he's got room for his, uh, all his drum kit and everything. And he's and he's doing production over there. So we're probably going to fall back in quite shortly to doing what we were doing before as well with recording, field recording and uh, and making new music. Um, but it's also made just enough room for me to start to get on with the stuff that I always thought that I would probably get on with when I was here. Um, so, but then when I look back over the first year, just to totally contradict myself, I have to agree with what you say, which is that for being out on a rock in the middle of the sea, um, I have been very connected and I'm very pleased about that. So, you know, um, what did we do like four? When I first came out here, we published the plans for the chanter in Piping Today. Um, then there were um, two Ascension Method articles that went out in Piping Today, which I have to say are consciously, um, you know, the, the, the book itself that I'm trying to work on is going to be a lot more technical um, and a lot more scientific, if you like. Um, and the articles were basically, it's quite early in the day to be writing them, two years before I've really got to the stage of, 
um, that I think I'll be at of really having the the book in some form of you know readability. Um, but they're really there to kind of um, signpost the approach, if you like, and and what I'm hoping to that it will be. Um, so there was those articles, and there was the release of the print and play chanter, which occupied the month of March and April um, almost completely. And there's a really fun thing that happened in March and April. That's one of the reasons I really like that question is because um, March obviously was a pretty big month for the whole world. Um, And, you know, out here you might think that um, we were basically mostly insulated from that, and we we were in a way. Um, But uh, during March, I mean, before COVID, what we, we were noticing, we get quite a lot of yachts coming through here on, on boats, on world, you know, touring the world and so on. Um, and March was was no different. And we, we had about four or five boats in the bay. Um, and uh, about two weeks before we really started to become acutely aware of COVID, um, a German couple arrived on a boat. Um, the, the lady, Ellen, uh, was a piper and really into the small pipes had a set of John Walsh pipes with her now she got in touch with me on Facebook before she arrived um, asking about the chanter Um, and it turned out they'd actually decided to make a small detour because they'd heard that I was out here doing what I'm doing Um, and they wanted to see if they could get a chanter so um, they they stopped um, two weeks two weeks before as I say things really started to get dicey Um, and I was right in the middle of um, prototyping the print and play along with Zeshwan Chow in London and we were firing emails back and forth yeah. and STL files back and forth to print on my printer, print on his printer what do you think of it now um, can we adjust the tuning and all that kind of stuff and so there was all that going on and the printer was basically um, uh, melting because of the heat <laughs> out here in sure. March uh, which is in the upper 30s um, and it is now broken, but it's waiting for a spare part. Um, but it was a great time. And uh, Ellen came into the middle of all this and she asked about Chanter. And I said, well, excellent. I'll make you a Chanter. Uh, I'll, I'll, make, I'll give you one of these prototype Chanters to try. So um, uh, so she ended up playtesting for us. Yeah. And two weeks after she arrived, when they were due to leave, they discovered that the ports had started to close all around the Atlantic. Oh, and so... They spoke to immigration here, which is the local policeman, basically. Um, and they ended up staying a further three months. Um, and uh, hiking the island, learning tunes and trying out chanters for us. So, yeah, that was, I mean, that was just one example of how, as you say, connected um, we've been. And when they left in June, um, I gave Ellen a couple of these chanters to take away, one for plastic reeds, one for cane reeds. Um, and I gave her a third one to take away for Javier Baudiru because I heard that she was going to Brest in Brittany. So she went. So they went up to the Azores and then down to Brittany and ended up having dinner with Javier in Brest and giving him his chanter. So he's got a chanter now. Um, I, I'm still waiting for boats to come to take the chanters up to uh, the guys in Glasgow. And, you know, the rest of the places that I'm hoping to get. Um, but I think we've got we've got we've got flights again now, so I can probably get them out via regular mail now. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the thing, and and then the BBC as well. I mean, the BBC. Um, the funny thing about the island is we've got a BBC relay station here, 
but apparently they don't have a direct connection to the BBC other than the big aerial array that they've got. Um, and they rely on the island internet to get in touch with the BBC because we've got, we've had what we had now from the BBC. We've got, first of all, before we left, Donald McLeod, who's a producer for BBC Alaba, um, who was out in the pub with myself and my cousin Kenny um, before we left, um, said, oh, this sounds really exciting. Can we not make a programme for BBC Alaba about this? Um, piping on ascension and so on and so forth. So he went away with that and he came back um, maybe a month or two after we'd arrived saying, um, we think we'll, we'll give this a go, um, tell us more. And then within a month or two, it had been handed over to BBC Scotland, which is a slightly larger concern than, the, you know, BBC Alba. Um, and uh, there was a guy, Will Holmes, got in touch with, from BBC Scotland to ask all about it to try to formulate a pitch and then COVID hit um, and heard no more about it and thought, oh, well, that's it. Uh, we'll hear no more about it. But then a month or two into COVID, I guess they must have been finding it really different to make, difficult to make new programmes. So they got in touch and uh, started trying to pursue it again. Um, and so now we're at the stage where they're about to send a pitch to the commissioners for that. So we might have a, we might have a, a essentially a small pipes based BBC documentary, which would turn up for the books. Um, <laughs> we don't know if it'll go ahead or not. We'll see. Um, and then in the meantime, through a completely different connection, a chap, um, Martin Graham, that I know through the Glasgow Sing Around, I had no, no idea what he did for a living, but it turns out he's a journalist at the BBC as well. Um, and he got in touch to ask if we could do a piece for The Nine, which is a news programme. And so we did a piece for The Nine, um, involved a bit of original music, a bit of talking about the work that we're doing with the chanter. Um, and that, unfortunately, that got cut shorter because they had a guy from a band, The Frightened Rabbit, in doing an interview. But the music still got through, so that so that was that was fun to do, and then um, now with the connection in connection with the release of the album, there's been a chap in touch from BBC Radio Four, so we're we're basically making a name for ourselves. Neither it's a small island, and word travels quite quickly, and so we're basically um, we're we're basically uh, constantly doing stuff for the BBC, which wasn't really something I expected coming here. <laughs> Um, yeah. but uh, it does feel very much like we're not really that far away yeah. um, which is quite nice uh -huh. yeah, so there you go that's great um, distance connections yeah yeah. I don't know I mean, I mean basically I would say you know in terms of writing things and doing stuff as I say we feel like very connected but at the same time what I've noticed is that I think everybody back home and, and I'm sure this has been the case for you have been much more in touch on yeah. Skype and social media and so on yeah. since the pandemic hit. And actually with us, because our bandwidth is so terrible and our internet is so terrible, we haven't really been fully engaged with that. Yeah. Um, and we've not actually been online any more than before the pandemic hit, really. Um, so, so I don't really know if there's any good advice I could give about that. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it has been interesting how much, uh, like, you talk to people that, you know, like, oh, I haven't, I can't visit with anybody, I better get in touch, and then there's all those, like, old friendships that you haven't, that are really important to you, but have just kind of fallen away because of time and distance, and, like, those seem to be the ones that you're um, refreshing. If you live in a place with good internet, that's what it's like. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But. Well, I've had, yeah, I have had that experience, yeah, since being out here, actually, since 
probably right since last August. Yeah. I've had that experience of, okay, I'm miles away from everybody. And for some reason, as you say, um, first of all, I found that it's my oldest friendships and my closest friends that, that where, where I've been in touch and refreshed those friendships, which is actually quite a nice thing. Um, uh, so I guess that's maybe maybe that's something to do with just being being shut away, which yeah. I suppose we have been here since we arrived. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, well, I have to say, that, like my, my my real job is uh, in theory going to be being a historian and particularly about mostly indigenous history, but also the Atlantic world. So I love that the first answer yep. to the question of you know you, you've moved to an island between Africa and South America, but you seem really connected. Uh, your answer is well, yeah, the boats. It's the boats that come in. Like that's a that's a very uh, very old school Atlantic world yeah. take about just how much water is actually. Well, it is. Everyone. Yeah, I, yeah, I totally. And I I I I thought that when when Ellen and Michael came, I thought, my God. And you know, before we left, Hamish Moore had kind of half joked with us. Because obviously he's from Barbados, um, and uh, he grew up there, and he's got a a little shack there, I think. Um, and he said, "Oh yeah, I mean, obviously COVID's intervened in this." But he said, "Oh yeah, next time I'm down in Barbados, I'll get a boat and I'll come down yeah. and see you." Um, <laughs> so we were like, "Oh cool, we're gonna get a visit from Hamish Moore." Um, and uh, whether or not he'll do that if COVID lifts or not, I don't know. But um, that would have been that would be cool. Um, but then also there was a uh, there's there's a friend of mine in Glasgow, Neil McDermott, who knows somebody, a guy, a piper who works on ships that go from north to south in the Atlantic, um, and he said, oh, he might knock you up as well, so uh, come and see you. Um, but um, you know, I, I think yeah, when you get down here and you're so remote, and the ships and the little boats come and go and Ellen Michael came in and before that there'd been some uh, Swiss people had come through um, and you do get this sense that you know you're you're connected by the sea which you don't get at home at all yeah. um, and as you say it's quite old school and giving that chanter to Ellen and Michael to take to Javier I thought this is very much like the 19th century you know <laughs> I, I, I have passed your chanter to the captain of a passing ship yeah. <laughs> he says if he has a fair wind he may bring it you know yeah. <laughs> it's really really funny <laughs> wow. that's good stuff yeah so it's totally you know it's like yeah, 19th century piece of life. So it takes about eight weeks then to get there. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's arrived now. Yeah. So, so it, it works. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Oh, I guess I do have one more question. I'm just curious about like your your album, um, History of Sleeping, is, or History of Sleep, is the first one that I actually have any experience with that you're releasing a cassette version too. And just, yeah, is yeah. there an uh, audio reason? Is it just because it's an awesome artifact of, you know, the past? Or, like, yeah, what's the thinking behind an audio cassette or cassette tape? Well, that came from, uh, from Jen and Kevin at the label. Um, and I just basically, I was just basically, okay, do it. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, as you say, quite correctly, um, you know, for me, I was born in 77 on cassette tapes. You know, it's like a for me personally. I was like, oh yeah, do it. Yeah, and, and then when I saw it, and I haven't actually held it yet, but when I saw the picture of the cassettes yeah. once they'd got them pressed, I was like, oh yes, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, because um, obviously uh, as a teenager, yeah, nearly everything that I was uh, listening to was on cassette, and CDs came in, but that was like a new cool 
um, you cool thing. Um, so there was a certain amount of fulfillment of uh, sort of um, teenage musical ambitions in, in yeah. releasing a cassette. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so big stuff. Um, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, it came from. It came from the label, and I think possibly it's that there's there's a, a market for cassettes or something now. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. It's definitely um, feeling like that I, with, uh, you know, we just had a real bad storm here a couple of weeks ago and everybody's internet and like power came back on before the internet did for most of us. And there's like those weird moments, which I'm, again, it's, you're, you've already lived this in Ascension, but there's like, oh, it actually matters to have a hard copy of things that are important to you when you can't yeah. just grab it all from the internet. But, yeah. yeah, totally. Well, on Ascension, we, we, we were acutely, absolutely acutely aware of that. And the funny thing is, before we left, the when we left for Ascension, we left from an annual family holiday in near Aviemore in Nethy Bridge. We always go there. My brother, my sister, my parents and all of our families um, go there. And um, our cousins come down from Inverness and meet us and we have barbecues and stuff. It's always it's great. It's a great week. We always look forward to it. And we left in the middle of this week. Um, and one of the things I always do during this week is I always pop up to Inverness and uh, call in on Caberfe Music, where Andrew McLennan, um, in particular, I'm, I'm, I'm close to, um, and uh, just shoot the breeze a bit with Andrew and catch up. Um, and this time I took a, a bag of swag that I had left over from Linstruments. So I took uh, some some uh, whistle covers and, and some uh, odds and ends and bits and bobs um that uh, i hadn't uh, yet found a home for um and we sat down and we worked it all out and we swapped them all for um cords and a bag cover <laughs> and some nice new reeds um and bits and bobs for my pipes and a whole load of cds that they couldn't shift um so i got all, all of these um and what were they like uh strathclyde police pipe band from 1996 and all this kind yeah. of stuff so i was delighted because i was like i know i'm going to an island where i'm not going to be able to easily stream and download um and so now i've got you know uh i forget how many cds but i've, I've actually sh- i should know because i've just finished loading loading them all into uh itunes again um yeah. after having swapped my hard drive failed, but I went down to the ISP here where they sell solid state hard drives for um, 50 quid, which is about as cheap as you, you know, the, that's a reasonable price considering everything on the island is marked up. Yeah. Um, and I, so I bought a couple of those and I loaded all my music onto them and I've got bows and drones, Duncan Johnson and Neil Johnson sitting on, on, on the, that's the kind of stuff that I got from them. Yeah. Really good old uh, uh, albums. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything that you don't have in hard copy here you don't really have yeah um so it's it's old-fashioned in that way um and the cassette side of it i mean i had uh i had all kinds of stuff i had um and i can't find half of my old cassettes now and it frustrates me um but uh, i remember when gordon mooney and uh lowland such with andy hunter and davy robertson and all these kinds of things alongside uh pavement and uh nirvana cassettes and stuff like that when i was a teenager it's a really eclectic mixture of music but um you know probably you know i, I dare say you can probably relate to that yeah. um and uh, it, it's uh yeah and it's a bit of a blast from the past having this coming in on cassette 
Uh, whenever it finally arrives, it'll be in November <laughs> yeah. before we get our coffee. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I look <laughs> forward to seeing... It'll come on a sailing boat. <laughs> it'll come on a sailing boat. Somebody looking for another bagpipe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll trade. In exchange, yeah. yeah. A turtle. <laughs> they load them up with turtles for them to give us them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much cool. for, you know, this, this album's awesome. Like, I've been listening to it while grading all day and it's just been awesome and like like i said we just got bad news again here locally and it's just like oh man listening to <sighs> listening um to dorrington lads that kind of cheered me out of it or like it was it, it's i wouldn't say cheer it's not necessarily a cheerful tune but it was intriguing enough and like it just mesmerized me into feeling better uh which is a really valuable thing to have uh in 2020 so Thanks for the music and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for the instrument and and for agreeing to yeah. do this chat as much as it was a nightmare for you yeah, to no get problem. your computer working for it. But no, it's worked. It's worked, and it, it seems like it works smoothly after midnight. So we, can, <laughs> yeah. we, we know we can do this now. <laughs> yeah, cool. It's a good experiment, and um, yeah, thanks very much, Jeremy. Yeah, and it's been great talking to you. Yeah, nice talking to you too. It's nice to finally meet you. We've, yeah, after exchanging some messages back and forth, it's yeah, it's great. Anyway, uh, Todd, good good evening. <laughs> nice one. Cheers. Cheers. Good night. Good night. <laughs>